Thanks be to God. Well, as you heard, both Hagar and Jeremiah are in a trust fall. <laughs> They're falling through the experiences of life, waiting to see if the Lord will catch them waiting to see if the Lord's faithfulness will come through for them. But we hear them in the midst of them falling from what they knew to what will be. And I don't know if you've ever been in that transition where maybe you've graduated from school or you're in between jobs or you're waiting for a relationship, but you're in the midst of that transition and it can feel like you're falling through unexpected times waiting to see what the Lord will do. Has anyone been there before? And so as we hear this next passage, the words of Christ that we're going to reflect on today, sometimes that transitional space is where we are sent as disciples, between what the world is and what the world longs to be in Christ. Between the way the world is and the kingdom of God, we as the church are sent into that transitional period. And sometimes it feels like a trust fall because we're walking in faith and expectation to see what God will do. Let me tell you a little bit about what the disciples, where they're at before we start reading. Jesus has just commissioned them to go out to the lost sheep of Israel, to seek out those who are in the covenant of God, but are experiencing waywardness, experiencing uh, things that are kind of drawing them away from a close relationship with God. And they're sent out to these towns to be a presence of proclaiming the gospel to them. It's that famous passage that says, if they don't receive you, what are you supposed to do? Shake the dust off your feet, right? And move on to the next town. But Jesus does something really unique here. He sends them out without an extra staff, without a money belt, without any extra accommodations. They can't even take two shirts, two outfits. They are sent out in vulnerability to depend on the provision of God and the generosity of their neighbors. Now, Now, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself, right? So Jesus is calling the disciples to be this embodiment of depending on the Lord and seeing how the Lord operates through their neighbor as they care for one another. And that's the context of our passage today. They are sent out in vulnerability to trust in God as they are sent into a very uncertain world. I think it has some relevance for us today. We are sent into an uncertain world to trust fully, vulnerably, on the will of God. So our our gospel passage comes from Matthew chapter 10. If you'd like to turn there with me in your Bibles, we're going to start Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. We're going to read to verse 39. I'm going to try to keep the, the wind at bay here, but... So chapter, Matthew chapter 10, starting with verse 24, listen to the words of the Lord for us today. Disciples aren't greater than their teacher, and servants aren't greater than their master. It's enough for disciples to be like their teacher and servants like their master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, it's certain that they will call members of the household by even worse names. 
Therefore, don't be afraid of those people because nothing is hidden that won't be revealed and nothing secret that won't be brought out into the open. What I say to you in darkness, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, announce from the rooftops. Don't be afraid for those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Instead, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and the soul. Aren't two sparrows sold for a small coin? But not one of them will fall to the ground without your father knowing about it already. Even the hairs on your head are all counted by your father. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before people, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But everyone who denies me before people, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I haven't come to bring peace but a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. People's enemies are members of their own household. Those who love father more or mother more than me aren't worthy of me. Those who love son or daughter more than me aren't worthy of me. Those who don't pick up their crosses and follow me aren't worthy of me. Those who find their lives will lose them, and those who lose their lives because of my sake will find them. The written word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning I sent my dad the last few verses there that says, I have come to turn son against father. Happy Father's Day, Dad. I'm coming for you. <laughs> but what, what a text uh, on a day to reflect what these relationships do truly mean. And if you'll permit me, I'm going to start with the end of that passage and work backwards. And the wind is just not going to let me have it today, is it? Um, I, I want to talk about where Jesus starts with that language of family and sword. Jesus is sending out his disciples with a certain power and authority. When Jesus starts out in his commission of the disciples, he says, I give you the same authority that was given me to cast out spirits, to cast out evil demons of people, to bring healing to the sick and restoration and liberation to those in the surrounding lands. The power that God has entrusted me, I also entrust in you. But when the kingdom of God entrusts power to a people, do you think that it's the same kind of power structures that humans build? And all God's people said, no way, right? It's the, the power of the kingdom of God is not the same power structures that we order our lives by. In, in fact, it can bring up to a great collision between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. Jesus says, this is the power and authority I entrust to you. But then he starts list, listing all of the ways in which that power is going to play out. You're going to be dragged before governors and kings. You're going to be beaten in the streets. You're going to be rejected by friends and family for my sake. But don't be afraid. Don't be at fear when these things happen. So that's why I wanted to focus on what role does fear play in our lives? Because the power that's been entrusted to us as disciples 
isn't the same sort of power that the world operates by. And the trajectory of the kingdoms of this world often come into contact with the trajectory of the kingdom of God. And there is where the church is called, in between those two kingdoms, to embody the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. So that really puts this verse that's always troubled me, because just a few chapters earlier in chapter 5, Jesus has this sermon on a mountaintop. And he said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Blessed, and he calls us to be bringers of peace. And then in this verse, he says, I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. Does that trip anyone else up? It made me wonder, well, this is the Prince of Peace, the one who's called us to be peacemakers. And he said, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, this is why it's so important to understand the power dynamics that Jesus is talking about here. He's entrusted disciples with the power of the kingdom, and it doesn't look like the powers of the world. When he stands before Pontius Pilate, a governor, a king in the world, and Pontius Pilate says, what is truth? Where is the, your protection? Where are your people? And he said, if this were my kingdom, my people would come and, and, and save me. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Pontius Pilate says, what is truth? And Jesus is silent. It's what you say it is. It's what the governors say is truth. It's what the kings say is truth. And you're not listening to me as the rightful, true king. Otherwise, you'd be pursuing the kingdom of God. So to boil it all down, Jesus is really asking, what is our primary allegiance? What is our primary fidelity? Is it to the kingdoms of, of God? Or is it to the kingdoms of of the world, the power structures of the world. Because if we're pursuing the kingdom of God, that power of the kingdom is going to bring justice, peace, mercy, understanding, charity, a, a deep infilling of the Holy Spirit where we are understood. Remember Pentecost, everyone can understand each other. There's charitable discourse, there's understanding, there's no divisions, but there's bridges. That is not the way the world works, is it? So when you're a force of bringing healing and the other powers of the world are a force to bring coercive, violent control, there's gonna be violence. But it's not going to be by us. We're just living into the peace of the kingdom of God against the forces that would seek to control and minimize other human beings. We have been entrusted with a great power of Jesus Christ. And when we bring that peace, people who operate by a different category of power are going to feel divided. They're going to be filled with fear. They're going, to be feel, they're going to feel like our relationship is over, and they even might seek to bring us harm because we're about peace and mercy and justice and, and a deep infilling of the Holy Spirit to grow in Christ-likeness. That's what we're about, and that sometimes brings animosity and, and division between people. But it's not because we're causing division. It's because that kingdom sometimes is a hard structure of power to get alongside of. Has Jesus ever challenged you in your life? Do you ever feel super close to Jesus in those moments? 
but, but the desire is there, right? Well, imagine someone who doesn't operate by that way of power and peace, seeing your life and your decisions to live out that way of the kingdom. When they're so shaped by other ways of power, it's going to feel so foreign and it's going to bring division and sometimes conflict. You don't have to look further than, than King Herod to see what sort of fear a little baby infant brings to his heart. Oh, when a new king was beheld to be born to the Jewish people, what did Herod respond? It's a, it's a little baby. And he makes a declaration throughout the land to get rid of all the other little babies. It's an infant. Behold the power of God. Behold the kingdom of God coming through the, the, the manger. And the king and the governor of the time is brought to a place of fear. What does that fear bring about? Violence in the world by a little tiny infant. Christmas will preach all year long, amen? But just by the presence of a newborn king, the old king on his throne in his structures of power responded with fear. And so this is the, this is the message that Jesus is speaking about not being at fear. Because our hearts are often motivated by fear in some really destructive ways. You want to talk about, so it's really a question, if division is going to happen, do you want that division to be because you're working towards peace or because you are fearful? Do we want that division to happen because we're bringing healing and Christ-like discipleship in the world or because we are pursuing to control others, to make sure that they're doing what we want them to do? What do you want the division to look like? Because Jesus is pointing out that that division may happen within even our family structures. But is it going to happen because you're pursuing Christ? Or is it going to be happening because you're pursuing your own way in this world? So that's the context of power that Jesus is talking about, fear. And it brings us to the question I asked you at the beginning of service. What role does fear play in your heart and mind? Because I don't know about you, but being drugged before councils, being beaten in the streets having your family and friends disown you, maybe even having losing opportunities in your, your career, all of those things bring fear to my heart. I'm going to be honest with you. But then Jesus says, do not fear. Don't fear these things in my name. He is called the head of the house of devils by the Pharisees. And he said, well, students aren't greater than their master. If they call me the head of the house of devils, they're going to call you worse names, right? And I'm a people pleaser. I really like people to like me, right? But if they call Jesus the head of the house of devils, what are they going to call us when we are pursuing the name and the, and the kingdom of God first and foremost, and they're pursuing other things? What are they going to call us? If you ever want to make friends real fast, just have a conversation about nonviolence. People get really upset because we've been shaped in a world where power and authority manifests itself often in violent power. But we are called to bring peace. That conversation alone has brought about division between myself and friends. But 
Jesus doesn't just say, don't be at fear. He marks out ways in which we can not fear. Jesus doesn't give us an empty message. He tells us how to not fear. How does Jesus tell us to not fear? He says, look at the character of God. You buy sparrows by, with, with pennies on the dollar. That's how much you value, value sparrows. Your heavenly father even cares about those little sparrows when they perish. So how much more? You who are created in the image of God, does God care for you? The governors and the kings and the power structures of the world, your friends and family, they can only hurt what they see and what they feel. But the heavenly father that has created you in his own image has the last word over you. They don't have the last word over you in regards to eternity. Amen? God, the one who has created you, has the last word in regards to eternity. So there, there is evidence to not fear. They don't have an eternal word or authority over you. God does. And so they can do what they will when you pursue the kingdom of heaven. And they are shaped by other power structures and they don't like the kingdom you're pursuing and they respond with to you with division and hardship you can fear not because god is with you and the god who had the first word over creation is going to have the last word over your life when jesus returns and the final judgment happens all the dead are raised Jesus has the last word over your life. Will he know us by the way that we pursued the kingdom? So I started at the end and worked our way back to the power structures and authority. What role does fear play in our hearts and lives? And I think this comes, it hits home with father, mother. I'm getting used to in-laws. I've been married for a little over four months now. And in-laws is a, is a different kind of family, right? And, and he even brings up in-laws. I'll bring division between in-laws. I'll bring division between your own father and mother. So it really does have implications for us at home. The, the, the way in which we can ensure not letting our fear be a motivation in our life is our closeness with Jesus Christ. If Jesus is our greatest motivation, then no matter what we fear, Christ's lordship is going to be a greater motivation than even what we fear. It doesn't mean that you won't be afraid. It doesn't mean that you won't be fearful at times. It'll just mean that, the, that Christ's lordship is a greater motivation than even your fear. Do you want a faith like that? I want a faith like that. I want a faith where the lordship of Christ is a greater motivation than anything that I could ever fear. Even broken relationships when all you're trying to do is to bring in the kingdom of God into your heart and into your world around you. I want Christ's lordship to be the greatest motivation. So what Jesus is saying here, fundamentally, your greatest allegiance should be to Christ's kingdom and his lordship. And doesn't mean that you don't have other allegiances, but it means that all other commitments are shaped by that first commitment to Jesus Christ. Are you with me this morning? It doesn't mean that we don't have commitment. It doesn't mean that Jesus has brought a sword to sever all of those relationships. It means that Jesus has brought a sword to reorder and shape them by the ways of the kingdom. 
because sometimes they're ordered and shaped by the ways of the world. And so if we want our commitments to, to family, to country, to government, to other people, to the needs of the world, we have to first have our primary commitment to the presence of Jesus Christ and his lordship in our lives. Then and only then can we really have good God-intended relationships with each other. I will only be a good husband to Rebecca if my first primary relationship is to Jesus Christ. I will only love her well when I know that the love I have is from God and not from my own agenda, right? I will only be a good pastor if my relationship is first with Christ and I'm fostering that with my primary allegiance. We will only participate well with the power structures of the world, with politics, with political leaders, when our first allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom. You see how quickly political our relationship with Jesus can get? Because politicians throughout all of time and history use fear as a motivation tool for our conformity. Always. It's either fear of the other person, fear of an enemy, fear of economy, whatever it is, they use fear to solidify the, our conformity, even when it's not for our best. Is that the way that God works? God shows up and brings the free gift of salvation and says, you don't have to fear when your primary allegiance is with me. I'm not going to use fear as a tactic to ensure your conformity. I'm going to use the salvation of Jesus Christ and his peace in the world and say that you have nothing to fear when your commitment is to me. That is your God, brothers and sisters. That is your king who died for you and asks for your fidelity in return. So if we want a right ordered relationships, if we want right ordered commitments, if we want to use the authority and power that we have, we have to first have that, unsur that surrendered relationship to the reign of Jesus Christ in our lives. So I want to ask you two questions. I, I've been convicted lately that a good sermon, because I've been preaching to myself a lot, a good sermon has a question, a question that brings peace and encouragement to your heart, and then a question that challenges us for further growth in the kingdom. So will you permit me to ask those two questions this morning? So the first question that I want to bring encouragement to your heart is how well equipped are you at seeking the ways your heart is still at fear? What motivation or role does fear still play in your heart and life? And how are you allowing the Holy Spirit to come, to tend to your needs, to be charitable to you, to grow you in Christ's likeness, and draw you closer to the heart of the one who cares even if a little bird falls to the ground? For you to understand how deeply the creator of the universe loves you. I want you to be challenged this week that any role that fear plays, I want you to start giving that over to the one who cares and loves you. And number two, the challenging question. How is the way, and I'll ask it to myself because it's easier that way. How am I still living my life in ways that brings fear to other people? Do I live my life in a way that brings fear to the least 
among us. Because I believe that Jesus brings a sword, not to our hearts, not to our relationship, but the peace of the power structures that maintain a status quo. One of the more famous passages is when Jesus flips over tables of the money changers. We all know that one, right? Well, what Jesus is doing is saying this power structure that that walks on the needs of the poor, that devours the widow and the orphan, it's maintained by a power structure that doesn't meet the needs of the least among you. This is my father's house and you've turned it into an economy of thieves that steal from the poor to make the rich richer, (laughs) That, that walk on the marginalized and the oppressed for the sake of the name of God. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. So how do I live in a position of leadership, in my own position of life? How, I know that Canyon's way more of way cuter than I am, but like, let's keep the eyes right here, okay? I'm saying some really important things. I just really need you to hear this. How am I living my life in ways that maintains my comfort and creates an inability to even become uncomfortable when the needs of others are being spoken to me? Am I allowing the sword of Jesus Christ to come in and reshape my allegiances so that I can hear better the cries of the oppressed among us? So those two challenges for you, root out and find any role that fear still plays in your heart, draw close to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and then allow that Lordship to reframe and shape your, your priorities so that we can even be allowed to be made uncomfortable for the needs of others among us. We're going to move into a time of communion, and if you haven't, we have communion elements available on the table at that time. I'll give you a few moments to go and get those elements so that we can draw into a time of communing with our Lord. The bread is on the top. It's really nice and compact. There's a little wafer there. So it's an all-in-one. Friends, Jesus doesn't call from us ways in which he hasn't lived out himself already. He told the disciples, those first disciples, that they would be beaten on on behalf of God's great name. And he was beaten and bruised for our transgressions. So we remember that broken body and shed blood when we come and participate at the table of communion. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, whenever you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. And he asked the disciples to come and eat. May we partake of the bread and body of Jesus Christ, remembering his sacrifice for us.
after they had broken the bread and eaten, Jesus lifted the cup and said, This is the cup of my blood, a new covenant I make with you. Whenever you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. As we partake of the cup of Jesus Christ, remember the blood that was poured out on your behalf and for the salvation of the world. Do so in remembrance of Jesus. Jesus Christ, Son of God, we proclaim the mystery of our faith that you died, you rose again, and you are coming again soon. Lord, that is proclaimed in the mystery of communion as we partake in this new covenant with you. Help us to remember the ways in which you have been ridiculed and rejected. And may we be aware of those fears, but not overcome by them. As we pursue your kingdom in this world, help us to draw close to you so that it is your power, your kingdom, that shapes all our other commitments so that we may be known by your good and holy name as we carry out the commandment to love the Lord with all of ourselves and love our neighbor as ourself as well. We ask that the love that you give us would be the love that we embody in this world. In Jesus' risen name, all God's people said, amen, amen.